Bible and open up to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. Hello. And we will complete 15 and we'll go into chapter 16. Now these two chapters, Revelation chapter 15 and chapter 16, comprise what we're going to call a twofold vision. And you can see the, 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 uh, the two sections of the vision very clearly. If you look at 15.1, notice it says, Then I saw. Do you see that? Then I saw. That's part one of the vision. Now look at 16.1. Then I heard. Do you see that? So this is a twofold vision. The first is what he saw, and the second part is what he heard. Now, if you'll notice, chapter 15 is only eight verses. It's the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. And it's a prelude to chapter 16, which is comprised of the bold judgments of God upon the nation of Rome. Now, while these judgments, these bold judgments, deal specifically with the seven churches of Asia Minor, they also have application for us. So even though we're looking at this passage from a historical perspective, we need to realize that uh, any nation not only Rome, any nation that places itself above God and any church that compromises with that nation will also be recipients of God's judgment. We see God's judgment all around the world, don't we? The question is, how long will it take for God to judge our nation like He judged Rome's nation, uh, Rome, Rome, the empire of Rome? Now, I believe that when John wrote this, he probably was expecting the Lord to return any moment. He may have even thought that uh, the judgments upon the Roman Empire were going to be the final judgments, the ultimate judgments, that would usher in the kingdom of God in the age to come. It didn't happen. And uh, therefore, we know that's still in the future. And so therefore, this passage is very uh, relevant for us, and we need to heed these warnings. So with that understanding, let's go through these chapters. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1, and notice what John says. He says, Then I saw, and he means in a vision, another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Now back in chapter 12, John saw a sign in heaven. Remember he saw a woman clothed with the stars and whose face shined like the sun. She was standing upon the moon. She, John called that a sign that he saw in heaven. He also saw a second sign in heaven. A red dragon, a great red dragon. This is the third sign that he sees in heaven. And here's how he describes this sign. Look what he sees. I saw another sign, just like I saw a sign in chapter 12. Great and marvelous, and here's what it was. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. Now when you see the word plagues, you know that has to do with judgment. And... Uh, Plagues remind you of the judgment that God sent upon Egypt when the Jewish people were oppressed. And these are going to be judgments upon the Roman Empire. Notice he calls it the seven last plagues. These are the last in a series of judgments that God's sending upon the empire. The first set of judgments. The seal judgments. The second set of judgments the trumpet judgments, and now the last in the series of judgments, these bold judgments are called plagues. And he sees seven angels 
having, in a sense, seven plagues. I don't know exactly what that's like, but this is a vision, remember? In his vision, in his dream, he sees seven angels. Each one has a plague in his hand. Okay? That's all imagery. And then look what he says. For in them, in these plagues, the wrath of God is complete. In other words, God's judgment will be complete against the Roman Empire. Seven plagues. Seven, the number of completeness. So this will finish his judgment upon the Roman Empire. And then look what it says. And then I saw something like a sea of glass. Now, have we ever seen a sea of glass before in the book of Revelation? Yeah, back in chapter 4. Remember all the saints were uh, standing around the a crystal sea, a sea of glass. But this sea of glass is different. Notice how he describes it. It's mingled or mixed with fire. So this represents judgment. Now, he's talked about plagues and he's talking about a sea. There were plagues in Egypt. Was there a sea in Egypt? Yes, what was the sea called? Red Sea. This is a sea of glass mixed with what? What color is fire? Red. So this sea, which delivered the people of Israel, was the means by which God judged uh, the nation of Egypt. So I think this imagery is coming straight out of the Exodus. And if we can think of the Exodus and what God did to that empire when it oppressed its people, uh, maybe we can understand this vision uh, as well. And then look what he says. And he saw those, in verse 2, who have the victory over the beast. He sees a sea, and then he sees those who have the victory over the beast. That's the Roman Empire and the emperor. Over his image. Remember what his image was? That's the idolatry that's going on, the Roman religion. Over his mark and over the number of his name. They were standing on the sea of glass. So, what he's describing is he sees a bunch of people. These are, he describes them as victorious people. Who were they victorious over? The Roman Empire and its religion and its idolatry. They didn't, they didn't take the mark of the beast, which means they didn't give their loyalty to the emperor. And as a result, they are put to death. So, when he says he sees them as victorious over the beast, in reality, who was victorious? Yeah, Caesar killed them. You'd think Caesar in Rome was victorious, wouldn't you? But that's not how John sees it. He doesn't see Rome as victorious. He sees these people as victorious over Rome. Now, notice this is a heavenly scene. Uh, he sees in heaven a sea of glass. These people are in heaven. They're victorious. And yet Rome seemed to be victorious. But not Rome. It's these people. Now, remember... This letter was written to seven churches. Remember what the last statement of every letter is? There's two statements in every letter. The very last statement is, He that has an ear, let him hear. The statement before each one of those is, He that what? He that overcomes. He that's what? Victorious. He that's victorious. I will give everlasting life. He that's victorious, I will write his name. He that's victorious. Every church and every member of these seven churches is called to be victorious. And what does John see in this vision? People who are what? 
victorious. They're victorious because they didn't give in to Rome, they didn't compromise with Rome, and they were put to death, and you would think that they were defeated. John says, no, God's raised them from the dead, and they're the victorious ones. They win in the end, not Rome. And then he says this, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. They had harps, in the verse 2 says they had harps in their hands. Music uh, accompanying uh, instruments that accompany songs. Having harps in their hand, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. The song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints or the nations, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all the nations shall come and worship you. For your judgments have been manifest. Now notice they break into song. He sees them all singing. They have harps in their hand. Uh, literal harps? Well, I'm not sure they're gold harps like we have in the church up in heaven. But what does he see? He sees a symbol. And this symbol means worship. And they're breaking out into song. We saw songs like this back in chapter 5 and back in chapter 11. Songs of victory. Okay? Now, there are certain features of this song. First of all, look at the titles. The titles that John attributes, or the saints attribute to God. First he's called, Lord God Almighty. Only time the words God Almighty are used in the book of Revelation are right here. So he's Almighty. He's Lord, not Caesar. He's God, not Jupiter. He's Almighty, not the gods of Rome. And so that's the first title. The second title is, O King of the Saints. <clears throat> the Greek word is ethnos, from which we get our word uh, peoples or nation. He's the king of the nations. Wait a second. Caesar's the king of the nations, isn't he? No. They say Jesus Christ the Lamb and God is, are the king of the nations. And look at the reasons for the song. Here's the reasons. First of all, about his ways. Just and true are your ways. First of all, see his ways. Look, in fact, right before that. Look at his works. Your works. Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways. And therefore, great and marvelous are your works. That means God breaks in and does great things, like raises people from the dead. And just and true are your ways. What did the saints do when they got slain? Remember earlier on? He sees the souls of the saints under the altar in heaven. And what are they doing? Hello, my Lord! I thought I'd do like Dr. Criswell did there. <laughs> I just want you to know you knew that answer, didn't you? They cry out and say, Lord, how long will it take before you vindicate us? Are you going to let the Roman Empire get by with this? And guess what? Does he? No, he's just, and he takes care of that. See? And then the results are, the end results are this, at the end of verse 4, all the nations shall come and worship you. Who do all the nations worship at this point when John writes this? Yeah, the emperor of Rome. But in the end game, all nations will come and worship God. For your judgments have been manifest. Rome would manifest its power, God manifests his power. So you can see that this song contains a lot of theology there. Now look at verse 5. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple, the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. <clears throat> and 
the tabernacle would be the box that's in the temple uh, where the Ten Commandments are located and Aaron's rod and all this. That's what he sees in his vision. There's not a literal box in heaven. I just want you to know that. But he sees this in his vision. This is where God's presence is. This is where God dwells. God dwelt in the nation of Israel between the wings of the cherubim. Remember that? On the Ark of the Covenant? And that's what he sees, this Ark of the Covenant in heaven. That's God's dwelling place. Verse 6. And out of the temple came the seven angels. Notice, they were in the presence of God. They come out from God's presence. And they have the seven plagues. They're clothed in pure bright light, or bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands. They are dressed like priests. Uh, Jesus is dressed the same way back in chapter 1 in verse 13. They are they're dressed in a magnificence as a result of being in the presence of God. It's a sort of a holy uh, endowment upon them. <clears throat> There's a glory that surrounds them. Verse 7, And one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The four living creatures, who are those? Remember those? Did we ever see four living creatures before? They were the seraphim, remember that? And one of those seraphim gave the seven angels seven golden bowls. And those bowls are filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and forever. Uh, same kind of bowls, by the way, that were used during dinners and banquets, Roman banquets, that were usually filled up with wine and poured out as offerings and libations unto Caesar and the Roman gods. If you're going to have a meal in Rome, you had to have a bowl, a cup, filled with wine. And after you ate your meal, and before you went into the symposium section of the meal, you would say, Hail Caesar! We worship you as God and we give you this sacrifice. And you would pour out a libation out of the bowl to Caesar. Well, guess what? God's in, God has a bowl. And he's going to pour out something upon Caesar in the Roman Empire. And it's his full wrath. Very important that you get it. It's his full wrath. The God who lives forever and ever. Verse 8 says, And the temple was filled, that's heaven, the heavenly temple, was filled with smoke from the glory of God, God's manifest presence, and from His power. And no one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So this is chapter 15. It's just a prelude to what's going to happen in chapter 16, which are the bold judgments that are going to come on the earth. So what he's done is he's pulled back the curtain of heaven and he's told us, hey, it's time now for God to judge the Roman Empire. And now in chapter 16 tells us how it's going to happen. He's going to switch from heaven to earth. So look what he says in chapter 16 in verse 1. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth so these are divine judgments now does an angel literally have a bowl filled with a plague 
like the bubonic plague, and just sort of pours it out on the earth like that? How big is that angel? How big is that bowl? Can you imagine? That bowl must be pretty big. Fill up a lot of stuff. Fill up the whole earth. This is all symbols. All he is saying is, there's a divine judgment coming, and this judgment is being poured out upon the earth. Okay, It's going to be a judgment upon the Roman Empire, its pagan citizens, and upon the compromising church. Remember, this book's written to who? Seven churches. He's warning them not to be part of this. And this is what you're going to get. You side with Rome, this is what you're going to get. So he's warning, this is a warning to church people and to the nations. So let's look at the judgment. Look at verse 2, judgment number 1. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men, meaning humans, who had the mark of the beast. It means who gave loyalty to the empire and the emperor. And those who worshipped his image. Those who uh, uh, bowed down and uh, practiced idolatry. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make a god out of stone and out of wood. And here church members are doing it. And this judgment is going to come upon them. Notice the judgment is called a judgment where sores come upon people. Now this is all symbolic. All symbolic. Is it going to be literal sores on people? Don't know. Because this is symbolic language. I know that it affects people's health. I can say that. I can find the principle behind the symbol. It affects their health. What does this mean that sores come upon people? What does it symbolize? What does it mean? Well, maybe it's God's counterpart to the mark of the beast. You have to take a mark in your body upon that's given to you by the emperor. If you do that, guess what? God's going to give you a mark. It's a sore. This is God's mark. Maybe that's what it's simply saying. Just as if you took a mark from the beast, you're going to take a mark from God and it's not going to be a nice mark. It could affect your health. If you weren't loyal to God and you were loyal to the Roman Empire, you're the bad guys and you're going to get a plague. Whatever this plague is, I know it's bad because it's called the full wrath of God. Right? Now look at the second judgment. Verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man. Like thick, coagulated blood. Verse 3 says, And every living creature of the sea died. What sea? You have to ask those questions, don't you? You just can't say sea and say, Oh, all seas, you know? Does it say all seas? What's it say? Oh, the sea. Well, there's only one the sea for John, and that's the Mediterranean Sea. So here's what John sees in his vision. Remember, it's all imagery, all symbol. In his vision, he sees an angel coming down with a bowl full of God's wrath. He pours it on the sea, and the sea turns to thick, gooey blood. And what happens when he does that? 
Every living creature in the sea dies. His vision, that's what he sees. Now, what's the point of this? Now listen very carefully. There are three sets of judgments. First judgment, second judgment, third, which is the last. The third, which is complete. The first set of judgments are called the sealed judgments, and that's where the judgments are announced. That's all he does is announce them. Remember that? They actually don't happen. They are announced. The second set of judgments are the trumpet judgments. How many people die in the trumpet judgments? How many people, how many animals in the sea die? How much of the earth is affected in the trumpet judgments? One-third. Remember that? One-third. How many remember that? A couple of you remember that. Okay? But in the bold judgment, that's a fuller judgment. See? Everything done. So it speaks of a progression. There's a progression. Judgment is announced. Trumpet judgment, the third die. Bold judgment, the full wrath of God. They all die. What he's saying is things are going to get progressively worse for the Roman Empire. And they've been warned about it. Just like we're warned. They've been warned about it. Why does God warn about these judgments? When, he gives, when the seals are broken and God announces the judgment, or the angels announce the judgment, why is the judgment announced? So the people will repent. Isn't that what he says to the seven churches? Repent. And then the second judgments, the trumpet judgments happen. And a third are killed in the trumpet judgments. Why only a third? What's the purpose of that? To get the people to repent. Guess what? If you won't repent at the announcement, maybe you'll repent if I tell you I'm going to knock off a third of you. Maybe that'll get your attention. But if that won't get your attention, guess what? John in his vision sees the full judgment. The entire empire is going to collapse. You think that'll get your attention? So he goes from the lesser, the announcement, to a third, to the greater, the fullness of God's wrath. Now, let's look at the third judgment. Look at verse 4. Still with me? Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So what do you have now? Fresh water. In his vision, he sees the fresh water is affected. So, the first judgment, health problems, sores, pain. The second judgment, all the fish in the sea die. It affects Rome's commerce. The Roman Empire surrounded the Mediterranean Sea. That was the very source of their Commerce. Commerce will be affected. The economy will be affected. And then, the third judgment, the fresh water that you drink turns the blood, and guess what? Now your life is affected. You can't drink that water and live. And guess what? You need water to live. So you see, he's describing health problems, commercial problems, economic problems, and now life itself. Now, we saw that there was a judgment on the fresh water under the trumpet judgments. The second set of judgments says, and the trumpets blew and God poured out his 
judgment upon the waters, the fresh waters, and the waters turned bitter. Ah! Bitter! Well, at least you can drink it. Might not taste good. But at least you can live. This time, the judge was progressively worse. The third set pours out the wrath on the water and it turns to blood. Now you can't drink it and you're going to die. You see that? You see what he's doing here in the book? He's laying this out for you. There's a progression. And then look what it says in verse 5. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who will be. And because you've judged these things, look, you've judged. You're righteous because you've judged. In other words, they deserve judgment. That's what he sees the angel saying in his vision. Now, is an angel literally saying this, or is he saying it in his vision? In his vision, he's seeing an angel say this. For they have shed blood. The Roman Empire shed the blood of the saints. They killed the prophets, like the two prophets in chapter 11, Jeremiah, all the prophets. Even Jesus himself, God's son. And you have given them blood to drink. They shed blood, they'll drink blood. For it is their just due. You have given them warnings after warnings, and they don't repent. This is what they deserve. This is their just due. God is just and fair and true. And then he said, I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. In other words, he hears somebody from the altar. Maybe it's one of those saints. Maybe it's just another angel. When the first angel says, hey, they're getting what they deserve, another one says, amen. <coughs> See? He, he confirms what the first angel says. And so God is true and he's righteous. See, we have a false concept that God is just a God of love. And then God's sort of like a great-grandfather. It's like Vernon, you know, says, Ah, that's okay. He's like I am with my grandkids. Ah, they can't do anything wrong. God's not like that. God loves the world that he created, but his love is also balanced by his holiness and his justice. And you can't have one without the other. A loving God doesn't allow him just to let you off the hook. A loving God moves him to provide a solution to your problem, and that solution is the cross. And if you reject Christ and his death on the cross and don't give him your allegiance, then the only thing left, God can't do anything. What more can he do? He, spared, he didn't even spare his only son. He gave it all. If God gave it all, what else can he do? Nothing. So guess what's left? Justice. And so these people are going to get justice. Now look at uh, judgment number four. Look at verse eight. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And the power was given to him to scorch, to scorch the men of the earth. And the men were scorched with great heat. And so now the fourth judgment, which is, is progressively worse than the second judgment. Under the bold, under the trumpet judgments, remember what God did? 
The son was judged. In the trumpet judgment, what happened to the sun? It became dark. That was the trumpet judgment. The sun became dark. What happens when it becomes dark? Remember what it said? Well, first of all, if the sun comes dark, it's cold, doesn't it? The people grope. Can't see their growth. But now, on this judgment, this is far worse. Guess what happens to the sun this time? It doesn't get dark. What does it do? It's hotter. It's brighter. See, this is worse. People are scorched, it says. And this is just a foretaste of the lake of fire. Whenever you get sunburned, that's a foretaste of the lake of fire. See, I was cutting my grass the other day. I had Bermuda shorts on. I thought it wasn't too bad out there. My legs are sunburned right there at the knees. See, I got a foretaste of the lake of fire. I don't want to go there. Now, why does God say this is these four things are going to happen? What's the purpose of all this? See, this hasn't happened yet. When John writes and it hasn't happened, he's saying this is going to happen on the Roman Empire. What's the purpose for him telling them all this thing? To get them to repent. To get the church to repent, you see. And, uh, of course, that's what they do, don't they? They cry out to God for mercy. Look, first says it right there. Men were scorched with heat, verse 9, and they called out to God and said, Have mercy on us. See that right there in verse 9? No, they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give Him glory. They did not repent and give Him glory. Notice that's in the past tense. Do you see that? These events haven't even happened, but he writes it as if they've already happened in the past tense. In his vision, he sees it happening. In his vision, he sees the angels pouring it. It hasn't happened yet, but he sees it all is already happening. And he says, the end result is, even in the end, they don't repent. And instead, what do they do? They blaspheme God. So the point of this passage is, in these passages, is that uh, these people are hard-hearted, and even though they're given every chance to change and repent, including church people here, they would rather, these church people would rather cast their lot with Rome <laughs> and give, give the emperor their loyalty in exchange that they can buy and sell and eat for a measured amount of time, a temporary amount of time. But in the end, they will be judged right along with Rome because they cast their lot with Rome. Now, if God judged Rome, and he did, there were a series of judgments upon Rome by the 6th century. Rome is totally defeated. It's wiped off the face of the map. The greatest empire that ever lived just totally judged. Now, uh, what happened to Rome? How did Rome fall? Was a bowl? Did somebody look up and say, Watch out, here comes the bowl! No, that's all symbolic. You know how Rome fell? Rome fell because it was morally corrupt. It began to implode, and other kingdoms came and fought against it, and basically Rome became a fifth-rate nation and ceased to exist. Uh, John is seeing this in the vision. This is all imagery, and in reality it works out on earth much different than he would ever, ever imagine. Now, if this happened to Rome and to the church people who compromise with Rome, how long do we have in America before God judges us? 
Oh, maybe we're already being judged. Maybe 9-11 was a judgment. Maybe every time there's an attack, maybe every time the stock market crashes, maybe every time the gas goes up, maybe every time, well, you just name it. Maybe these are the little judgments. Starts off small. Starts progressing. Each one designed to bring us to our knees. We almost came to our knees on 9-11, didn't we? Almost. Churches were filled the next Sunday for a week. So guess what? Well, maybe our economy has to collapse. Maybe our health system has to collapse. John in his vision would maybe see that as sores, you know? Sees that as the sea drying up, our commerce, our economy faltering and failing. All in symbolic language. How long is it going to take before we wake up? How long will it take before the church wakes up? Because you know something? All the nations of the world are eventually going to collapse. And the nations of this world will become the nations of Christ when he returns and he will rule. But in the meantime, guess what the church is to do? The church is to provide a testimony. We are to be loyal to Christ. We are to say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. If you seek God's kingdom, he'll take care of you. Maybe we're the ones that are being tested. So many of us are willing to trade our souls for a bowl of pottage. And we follow the principles of the world and we tip our hat to the world and we give our loyalty to the governments of the world for temporary relief. In reality, we're trading our souls for this. Trading eternity, in a sense, for this. So this, I believe, for us is as much a wake-up call as it was for the Roman Empire and the church in their day and the question is, will we heed? And if this is a pattern, the answer is no. When America collapses, people will blaspheme God just as they did in the Roman Empire. Next week, we'll look at the last three bold judgments. And then we get to a fascinating section of the scarlet woman and the beast and the fall of Babylon in chapter 17. Lord, we thank you for your word. We realize this is a serious issue. We realize that this is it may not be as tantalizing as all the sensationalism that we hear around the book of Revelation being taught many times. But we know it's sober. And we know it's true. Uh, we know that this is done for our benefit. This is written not only for Rome, but it's written for us as well. Oh Lord, help us to give our loyalties, 100% loyalties to you, not to the not to the government, not to the powers that control the world. But Lord, help us to be loyal to you, put you first, trust you to take care of us. Lord, help us to heed this lesson in Christ's name. Amen.